Welcome to Summoner's Rift. Welcome to Duo Q, the premier League of Legends podcast presented by 88.1 The Bird. How delectable. Oh, that's not nice. Oh, lost souls. Let's bounce. What is up, guys? This is Van Van Rock Berryman here with Kyle Sentinel Ganya on the return episode of the Duo Q podcast for spring quarter. We took a bit of a hiatus for finals the last few weeks of school for winter quarter and getting started again for spring quarter. How was your break, Kyle? Uh, it was a very good break, Van. How about yours? What'd you do over it? Uh, well, I, so I had two breaks because I'm student teaching. So on the first one, I worked here the whole time, which was a bummer. And then on the second one, I worked at home the whole time, which was kind of a bummer. But I'm happy to be back. Student teaching is going swell. But that is not the point of the podcast. The point of the podcast is talking about League of Legends, and so much has happened since we've been gone. So today, what are we going to talk about, Kyle? Today we are going to talk about, of course, the Aurelia rework, as everyone would love to hear about that. Uh, we're going to talk about Kaisa after she's been kind of settled in for a little while, so, you know, after she's been buffed, nerfed, all the changes that come with the new release of a champion. She's finally in a spot that I think everyone is pretty happy with, so we'll be talking about that, talking about the recent patches, the end of the NALCS season, along with the beginning of MSI, how it's looking. I can't wait to jump into it, Van. How about you? I'm real excited. we got an action-packed episode today, Kyle. Let's get down to it. First things first, let's get to NALCS. That did, of course, conclude while we were gone. Uh, let's go over the regular season standings. These are not the playoff finishes. We will talk about that in a sec. In 10th place, we had Golden Guardians finishing 4 and 14. Optic Gaming in 9th place, 5 and 13. FlyQuest in 8th place, 6 and 12. CLG in uh, a surprising but not so surprising finish of 7th place, 7 and 11. Clutch Gaming squeaking into the finals with 11 and 9 at 6th place. Cloud9, an early favorite early on in the split, ended up finishing 12 and 8, getting 5th place for the regular season. Team Liquid, who was kind of the uh, the Cinderella story of playoffs, ended up finishing in fourth place, 12 and 8. TSM finished in third place, 13 and 7. They were able to come back and fix their record a bit there at the end. Echo Fox was 12 and 7, got second place, and the surprise of the split, 100 Thieves comes roaring back in the second half of the season, ends 13 and 6. Something I found very interesting uh, looking at the, the end of season standings is that the teams that finished in the last three places are all, you know, uh, Golden Guardians and Optic Gaming are brand new teams this season. Right. Uh, FlyQuest was in more in the uh, academy scene last season, but they're pretty new to the main LCS stage this season as well. So pretty much all three of them are brand new teams. But then you see the first place finisher, 100 Thieves, is also a brand new team. Um, but I just think it's so weird that you have brand new teams at both the very top and the very end of the roster. Another thing worth noting is we had a lot of teams at the beginning of the year before LCS Spring Split actually started where they kind of changed how teams were being let into the LCS and they were kind of backing a lot behind NBA teams. So 100 Thieves is the Cleveland Cavaliers team. Granted, we don't know fully what exactly that means. But as an NBA fan, it could be foreboding for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Point being, they have a really good team. Obviously, they had Aframu and Medios and Cody Sun, kind of the vets. Ryu and Someday, we haven't seen a lot of in the NALCS. 
But uh, Aframu, I think, was the clear leader of this team heading into the playoffs, and I think that showed throughout the playoffs. Speaking of, Kyle, why don't you give us a quick recap of the playoffs? Okay, so playoffs started with Team Liquid versus Cloud9. Uh, Team Liquid 3-0'd Cloud9. On the other side of the bracket, we have TSM and Clutch Gaming. Clutch won over TSM 3-1. Back to the other side of the bracket, we got Echo Fox versus Team Liquid. And in a surprising turn of events, Team Liquid 3-1's Echo Fox. You know, we no one thought that was going to happen, especially seeing Echo Fox finishing second in the, the split. So that's pretty interesting that Liquid was so easily able to eliminate them. Well, not eliminate, but overcome them. Uh, 100 Thieves beats out Clutch Gaming just barely with a 3-2. Uh, Team Liquid ends up beating 100 Thieves 3-0, which is very interesting considering they finished third, excuse me, fourth in the regular season standings. What's interesting to note is that Clutch Gaming did actually have the most competitive matchup in the playoffs against 100 Thieves, taking them to five games, alternating wins. But at the end of the day, 100 Thieves did have the better team making it to the finals against Team Liquid, where they did lose, as you said, three games to none to give Team Liquid the spring split 2018 championship crown. Now, Kyle, what do they? There's a lot of confusion, I think, for some people who are new to LCS. What do you get? When you win spring split, we know when you win summer split, you automatically get a bid into worlds. What do you get from a spring split win other than, of course, bragging rights? All right. So the first, the top two teams. OK, so the win itself doesn't get you all that much. It does give you a better seed in MSI, which is rolling up on May 5th. Will we will give you coverage. Um, but then the first two teams, so 100 Thieves and Team Liquid will both be going into MSI, except Liquid will be getting a slightly better seed versus all the other world teams. And that's really interesting because that's something that I've, I, I get it. I get it because it's playoffs and I know a lot of other sports work this way, but it's, but it's just weird to me that Team Liquid finished fourth. And I know they won playoffs and that's awesome. I don't mean to take anything away from them, but it's just so bizarre to me that the end of season rankings mean nothing for MSI or Worlds, respectively, for sp- for Summer Split. It's whoever wins the bracket. And again, like for sure, you know, if, if Clutch Gaming, the sixth seed, won it, they should get something. But it's just odd that, you know, Echo Fox has nothing to show for it, despite having a fantastic standout season this season. Split. I totally agree. And it, it's just... You don't think of it as much when you're when you're watching the real season, but it's amazing to see that in a small period of time, you know, like that week that you we get the playoffs at the end of the spring split, there is so much that can change within a team. And there's so much that can, you know, that can either degrade or improve in that small amount of time. For instance, look at 100 Thieves, right? They were in the last week of playoffs, last, you know, two weeks of playoffs kind of, they were insane. They were popping off. They were winning every game. They were coming away from everything. Clearly the better team. But then we look at look at playoffs and they struggled up until the end where they ended up losing. Right. And this is something we can see. And I think a lot of people were talking about this during the season. If we look at liquid starting roster, you have impact, a veteran, Xmithy, a veteran, Poe Belter, a super veteran. I mean, he's been around for six or seven splits now since the beginning, practically. Oh, yeah. You have double Same with double. Yeah, double. I was going to say double has been around forever. And you have Ollie who's been around for for long enough that we know him really well. And it's the kind of thing. And this gets brought up in league, especially a lot, but in a lot of other sports, too. You think, hey, you guys, you have these super teams do something with it. And Team Liquid was not doing really anything with it for the first 
half of the season. And then they were like, guys, we're double lifting pole belts here. And then they just rocked the house the end of the season. They did get the fourth seed, but they were playing really, really well. And I think that showed in the finals when they 3-0'd 100 Thieves. Yeah, definitely. And looking at Liquid, I think everybody over the summer, especially, or not over the summer, but over the offseason, they saw what Liquid was doing with their team, and they instantly recognized this is going to be big, right? Because you don't have that many names on one roster and not have something amazing happen with it, except that's exactly what happened in the first half of the season. It's just the weirdest thing how everyone saw that and went, okay, well, you know, I'm a Liquid fan now, right? but seeing how they progress through the season, it's very obvious that veterans don't work together until work well together until they have enough time. But once they have enough time, they blossom and they become the team that you thought they were going to be. Yeah. And this is something I do want to talk about uh, in a little bit, but you have double lift. Who's always been the crown jewel of whatever team he's been on. He's always been kind of, I don't want to say the hothead, but he's been the one who has the, if someone on his team is going to have an opinion, it's going to be double lift. And I think he was able to step back a little bit with that. He worked super well with all all season. He let himself give impact and Poe Belter the spotlight to an extent. Poe Belter did end up winning uh, the MVP of I think all of or finals, maybe not all of playoffs. I think the MVP goes technically to finals, whatever. Bob Alter wins MVP. Um, and I think what led him do that, not to be the Debbie Downer, but Double Lift did go through a pretty traumatic event over the last few weeks that happened during playoffs. And he was able to bounce back, finish playoffs, and help his team get a win. So we do want to give a special shout out to Double Lift. Uh, hoping, he's, hoping he's doing all right. Definitely. And it is amazing to see a, a Titan like that. And it really shows how committed they are to the sport that after they go through a traumatic event, that they're still able to put the team first to put, you know, the the commitment they've given to the sport, the team and ultimately their friends and they can power through it. Right. And again, I think that shows, I mean, they three owed 100 thieves, first place team, stellar lineup, Afrimu carrying the team on his back, the majority of the playoffs didn't actually play very well. Poe Belter and Ale were able to capitalize on that. The last game, uh, the third game of finals, you have Double F going 6-0-4, Ale going 0-0-11. I mean, you you can't really have a better bot lane game than that in an LCS playoff. So do you want to commend uh, Team Liquid for their win? Uh, also to 100 Thieves for having an excellent showing in the finals. And we look forward to the MSI again. As Kyle said, that'll start in early May, and we will be covering that as it comes but uh, until then enjoy your guys's break from lcs i know waking up every day on saturday was a bit trying to watch all the games but but now i have a delightful break to focus on patch notes and such definitely it'll be thrilling Ben was not able to make it in today. He had some prior teaching engagements that he had to uh, be there for. However, I will be discussing the patch notes today and putting some talking points out there so that you guys can discuss this over on the DuoQ Discord. You can find the link to our Discord over at our Twitter, at DuoQ Podcast. And uh, we'd love to hear what you think about these upcoming patch notes and the changes that they will bring to both the meta and the game. First up is LeBlanc. She's getting her passive reverted to the old passive of uh, if she drops below 40% health, a clone comes off of her. So that will be fun to see in the games because I, I, you know, I had played her a little bit when she had the newer passive, and you know, it's just it felt so clunky. So I'm really glad that it'll be getting a revert to what it used to be. Um, also, there was a bug fix in the PVE where if uh, a LeBlanc clone died before 
the auto attack from the clone reached a target, it would actually deal damage, which obviously that's a problem. So that has been fixed, which is very good to hear. Um, her Q is now renamed to Sigil of Malice instead of Shatter Orb, which it used to be named a long time ago. So that was nice that, you know, with the new passive, they're reverting the Q to the old name too, kind of seeing what LeBlanc used to be, but they still have the damage nerfed, which is pretty nice. Um, so you won't have all of the burst that old LeBlanc had, which is why they reworked it in the first place, obviously. Sigil of Malice's base damage has not been changed. However, the AP scaling has. It's gone from 0.5 to 0.4, so that's a you know small little change. Won't be a whole big deal from ex-LeBlanc players. So they won't feel that much of a, a difference scaling to the late game, but hopefully it won't be as scary as a squishy. Next up, we got the Mark's base damage, uh, which has not been changed, it looks like, from what used to be. Um, damage ratio is still at 0.4 ability power, just like the base damage ratio from the orb. And uh, the cost has been increased a little bit, so it will be harder for her to cast it as much in lane. Her W distortion is being buffed a little bit. Uh, base damage is actually going up to 85 from 40, where it is right now on live servers, all the way up to 245 from 100, where it is on live servers, which is a pretty, pretty big jump. It'll be very interesting to see how that hurts being up against her in lane and, you know, especially in the late game because that's 145 damage more. That's insane amounts. Plus, the uh, the ability power scaling is going up from 0.2 to 0.6. That's insane. And top it all off, the cooldown is being decreased by 4 seconds at first rank and it is still going down to 10 seconds at max rank. But that's a huge buff to her W. Um, speed, however, is getting nerfed a little bit. It, going from 1600, where it is on live servers, to 1450, which will be kind of nice. They'll be, you know, give a little bit more room to dodge, but that's a pretty undodgeable ability as is. So that'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Reactivation delay is also getting a big buff because it's going from 0.85 seconds from the initial cast. So when you press W, 0.85 seconds afterwards, you'll be able to recast it and return your mark. Now it's going 0.2 seconds from finishing the dash. So as soon as it places LeBlanc as a finished dash, then you have 0.2 seconds to go back. And because the missile speed's getting nerfed, it's not as big of a buff as it looks like, but still, that's pretty huge. Next up, we got her E Ethereal Chain. Uh, her latch on base damage is being unchanged. However, the latch on damage ratio is being nerfed from 0.5 to 0.3, a little bit of damage uh, reduction, which is kind of nice because after they changed her Q and uh, changed her passive, it kind of felt like her E was mainly her, her damage source and her uh, W was just to get you in range of her E. It's nice to see that her E is going back to more of a role of, a, of being CC for her to get her combo off rather than the main damage of her combo. Um, also, its root-based damage is getting buffed uh, from 40 at, at rank 1 to 60 at rank 1 and 120 at max rank to 180 at max rank. Uh, her root damage ratio is getting a slight buff from 0.5 to 0.7 ability power. Cost is getting a nerf. It is now 70 mana instead of 40, and so like I said, that looks like it's going towards her more CC-oriented E. Um, her tether range is also getting a slight nerf. It's going from 885 to 865, so that'll be nice to see that she'll have to get a little more up close and personal to be able to get that CC on you. Lastly, her ultimate mimic um, is going back to what her old ultimate used to be, which is it is putting out a copy of her most recently used spell. Her Q damage for her mimicked orb is 70, 140, 210, which is similar to what it used to be. Uh, her damage ratio is 0.4, and her mark, if when popping the Q, 
is 140, 280 to 420, and the mark damage ratio is 0.8 ability power. So it's pretty similar to uh, what the Q is looking like. So it's pretty much just going back to her QQ combo when you, she uses her alt. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, her W base damage for her mimic is 150, 300, 450. Uh, the damage ratio is going to 0.75 ability power, so it's going to be a you know, pretty hard-hitting ability. Finally, her Mimic latch-on base damage for her chain is 70, 140, 210, and her uh, AP is 0.4 scaling. Uh, the root base damage, however, is 140, 280, 420, so that's, looking, that's the same base damage as her Q, which is pretty interesting, and her uh, scaling is a 0.8 ability power ratio, so that will be... Her E is hitting harder when you use her Mimic, her W's hitting as hard, and her Q is hitting harder again. So it looks like it'll be more, a lot more of an outplay LeBlanc, you know, quote-unquote, which is what she used to be, so that'll be kind of nice to see. Moving on, we have Ari. She's getting a mini rework, and I don't mean rework as in abilities or, you know, updates or anything. Her abilities are getting shuffled around, and some of the uh, effects are getting changed to put her in a different spot. Right now, she's a poke mage, right? And uh, I, I quite enjoy playing Ari. She's one of my highest non-support champions, and um, I really enjoy her playstyle. You know, that it, you, it is kind of the, the fox playstyle where you just kind of kite around them, using your abilities, and dodging theirs. I personally liked it a lot. However, I didn't like when she got changed to more of a poke mage, where her Q damage kept getting nerfed, 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 her, all of her other abilities kept getting nerfed, 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 and then it just put her more into a poke mage, finish them off with your combo, and then you're done. But she really couldn't contribute that much to team fights because of it. Now, they're putting her back to more of an AP Assassin style. I know a lot of people don't like the AP Assassin style, but I personally find that it's, it's a lot easier to play Ari using that style rather than a poke mage. So her E, her charm, now amplifies uh, her subsequent ability damage on the target it strikes. Her R and E base damage have been decreased, however, so that kind of balances her out a little bit. Her ultimate damage ratio has been increased. Her Q no longer grants movement speed, which I'm really sad about because that was my, one of my favorite parts of her kit. And her W now prioritizes targets that Ari has charmed or basic attacked. So that will be nice that um, her W isn't just nearest or lowest target. It's whoever she's hit with her charm, and she's kind of marked that as her target, will now be taking the majority of the damage. Uh, going down to Aurelia, her armor has been increased, Q damage to minions has been increased, which I think will be kind of good because it helps a lot of times when I've played her on the new patch. It kind of seems like she, I don't know, her Q feels like it should do more damage to minions, and then it doesn't, so, and that really throws off her whole combo of being able to uh, reset on kills, and because of that, she, you know, it was down one less escape, down a lot of damage, and so I think it's good that they're putting more of a focus on her Q rather than her ultimate which has actually getting a cooldown increase and the uh, missile damage and the wall damage have been decreased especially later in the game which is really nice because it felt like no matter what you did as long as she got her items she was able to snowball but unlike say someone like Yasuo who has the same mechanics where as long as she, he gets items he's able to you know be a part of the team and be a damage dealer she felt more like she was unmanageable early game as well, which is a big problem when you uh, base a champion around late game item power spikes. Next up, we got Azir. Uh, his soldier damage to non-primary targets has decreased at early levels, so that'll be pretty interesting that her his piercing damage isn't as good, but, um, but his auto attack damage from soldiers has been maintained if it's on the primary target that you're targeting. 
Um, Braum, his armor growth has decreased, which is too bad. He's one of my favorite support champions, and his W bonus resistances have been decreased. Uh, he was pretty much one of the top tier uh, supports right now, so I kind of get why they're nerfing him, but I don't know. I feel like these nerfs were a little... I feel like these nerfs weren't in the right place. I feel like something that would have been better to do is uh, decrease his E resistances and maybe decrease his Q damage output because I know his Q could really chunk at early levels, so that's too bad. Uh, Galio's ultimate cooldown has been increased. Graves' health growth has been increased, and his, cool his ultimate cooldown has been decreased. Uh, Jonna's movement speed has been decreased as well as her W damage, and this is by 5 damage. I'm a Jana player, I love playing her, but this isn't going to do anything to nerf her. And I agree that she she's in a place right now where she needs to get nerfed. She's having a huge win rate, and I know that a lot of my friends who play against her that aren't supports are just, it's like, where is that damage coming from? I was rank 1 and she took away a quarter of my health. So I get where they're coming from, but I don't think it's going to do that much to help the problem. Uh, Kaisa's health regen and health regen growth has been de decreased as well as her Q damage ratio. Uh, Lissandra's Q mana cost has been decreased. Her ultimate cooldown has been decreased at earlier ranks too. Lissandra's been quite a powerhouse this patch, so I'm excited to see her, you know, kind of get toned down just a little bit. And um, I want her to be in a good place because I think she's a really cool character that has... She has a kit that utilizes a lot of different um, movement and gameplay mechanics that a lot of other uh, champions don't have. So I want her to be in a good spot, but I do think that her win rate is just a little too high. So it's good to see her getting uh, nerfed. Nautilus's mana has been increased, his attack damage has been increased, and his Q cooldown has been decreased at earlier ranks. I like this uh, because, you know, late game, he's one of the best support just because he is the definition of the word tank, but early game it just kind of feels like he's lacking in health and damage output as a combination of the two. Uh, Ryze's E mana cost has been increased at earlier ranks, Scion's Q damage uh, ratio has been decreased at earlier ranks, however his Q base damage has been increased at earlier ranks. So that'll be kind of good to see because his Q really does chunk in lane. Uh, Tom Kench, not happy to see these nerfs, but you know, I get why they had to happen. Kench's E health restore has been decreased. His W no longer grants movement speed while moving towards enemy champions with a friend in his stomach. So that's too bad that he won't be able to, uh, they use the word fast food, which I kind of get. You know, it, it was pretty gross when you can, especially if you're uh, using Glacial Augment, when you could slow someone down by that much and then take a teammate and run at them full speed. Not a lot they can do counterplay wise. Uh, Talia, base health has been decreased, and cooldown has been increased at earlier ranks. She's getting a bit of a nerf, I kind of get that. She hit pretty hard this patch. Moving on to Varus, he has quite a few changes this time. W on hit damage has been decreased. However, his W now has an active ability, which empowers Varus' next Q to deal bonus damage. I think it's pretty cool because he always kind of felt awkward having the three abilities, but then his passive didn't... It procced, it did its job, but for the majority, you didn't use his kit to proc the passive on the W. So it'll be good to see him getting more of a uh, a caster role. Vi's base armor has been decreased. Her armor growth has been increased. Her health regen and health regen growth have been increased. Passive and Q cooldowns decreased to early levels. E mana cost decreased. Uh, pretty big buffs for Vi coming in, which is good because uh, she's another one of those people where I think she has a really unique kit. And I want her to be in the meta more often, but she just, I don't know, her kit seems very niche, and so I'm glad that she'll be able to have a little bit more playtime this patch. Zai's base health regen has been decreased, and her passive pass-through damage has been decreased at early levels too. 
Uh, Rek'Sai has a bug fix where uh, her fury no longer decays from being out of combat while she is consuming it for bird regeneration. Also, Rek'Sai's out of combat fury decay now begins precisely at 8 seconds as opposed to between 8 and 9 seconds. Uh, finally, we have a bug fix coming from Swain. Uh, his E now no only gives one stack for phase rush purposes instead of multiple how it used to. As far as items go, we only have one change, and that's Archangel Staff, and its mana to ability power conversion has been decreased, so it's getting a bit of a nerf. Finally, we have the rune changes coming in this patch. The lethal tempo's attack speed bonus has been increased, which is pretty good, because that was pretty much ignored over every champion that it was intended to use for, because either Conquer or Flea of Footwork was just a better option. And so it'll be good that hopefully we'll be seeing a little bit more play from lethal tempo in the coming patch. Uh, finally, we have Dark Harvest. Uh, fixed a bug where there was a uh, visual effects box appearing when a soul was dropped on the ground. Uh, it also fixed a bug where if multiple players took Dark Harvest, only one of them could see the glow on units that will do drop Dark Harvest, and all the other ones wouldn't be able to see which souls were uh, harvestable, so glad that bug got fixed. Also, on ARAM, the tooltip now properly indicates that champion souls are worth less than soul essence, which you get from minions and stuff like that. Last two things we have are uh, trinket changes. Sweeping Lens, the level one red sweeper, is now totally out of the game. Uh, it will no longer be available in the store. And instead, the Oracle Alteration, which was the red trinket that you were able to get at level nine, is now available starting level one. So that'll be pretty cool to see. However, someone did point out that sometimes it was uh, almost more beneficial to go the sweeping lens because you could set it at a distance and clear wards um, over walls easier whereas with the oracle alteration you kind of have to go in the bush as well but I think this makes it better because it's kind of a small nerf to jungle assassins I'm looking at you Kazix right now with the insanely high win rate so glad that that'll be getting a bit of a change and as a support man I'm always welcome to uh, stuff to help us out early game the home start buff now lasts uh, 55 seconds into the game instead of just the 35 like it used to, as well as the cold feet debuff got removed, which is uh, where it fell off instantly after crossing the river line. Now it rapidly decays after crossing the outer turret line. So that'll be kind of nice that you'll be able to gain a little bit more ground and invades will be a little bit more um, feasible with these new buffs. And that about covers it for the patch notes coming up. Last thing we have to add, the Badlands Baron Rumble skin is now getting a couple new chromos, which will be, look, which will be looking nice. As well as the Conqueror Varish skin is releasing onto the live servers in patch 8.8. .8. And we will be talking about the Varish skin next week. Moving on to our discussion of the week, we talked a little bit before we left uh, about Kaisa, who had just been released at the time. She's been out for about a month now, and we're kind of seeing how she's gotten into the meta. So Zoe was obviously a huge issue when she came out. She was priority pick or ban every game across all ELO. Uh, if she didn't get banned, you could be Wood 5 or you could be you know, at the top of challenger. And, and if you were first pick, you're picking Zoe. She didn't get banned. Guys is in a lot better place than that. Now we, we disagree a little bit. We were talking about this before we started recording, but I don't think that Kaisa is in a bad spot at all. She's, I think she's very middle of the road pick wise. I think she gets picked often enough that she's relevant, but I don't think she gets picked so often that it's worth banning all the time or, or having to develop a counter counterplay against her. But, Kyle, you disagreed with me a little bit on that. you want to explain what you were saying? Uh, yeah, so 
I was saying that, you know, I, I have seen her ban rate go up a lot recently. Um, and I think it's because a lot of people don't understand how to play against an ADC that acts more like an assassin, right? Because she her whole thing is to get her W burst on her, and then she just pounces on you. You get your support, you know, that has some uh, CC, on her, uh, CC on the target, and you're instantly bursted down, right? And then she can immediately switch targets again, and, you know, we're going to get pretty easy 2v2. However, I think that the ban rate isn't necessarily warranted. And that's because you have people like Alistar, you have people like Thresh, you have people like Braum, and you have ADCs that can actually outburst her, or at least put distance between them. For instance, Kate is really good against her because you can, you know, E away, or you can put a preemptive trap near you, and so as soon as she ults to you, you have that trap and you immediately get the extra damage from the headshot. You get the extra E damage from the headshot and you've now taken about half her health away and you can finish her off as she's going away with your alt. You have some, you know, supports like Thresh, like Alistar who thrive off of having people jump on them because that gives them a very easy way to use their CC as well. So I think the ban rate is just because people are a little more scared of her because she, she doesn't act like her role as much. Right. But I definitely think that she is a force to be reckoned with in the right hands. And I do think that she is in that, in that new champion realm that we see always. I mean, anytime a champion gets reworked or gets you know, recently released, we see, we see the ban rate skyrocket because nobody wants to deal with it because best case scenario, you have somebody who's playing them, you know, that they've only played them five or six times and they're still trying to figure them out. Worst case scenario, you have someone playing them for their first game, hoping for the best. Granted, we're a month in, so it's not really like that, but I think that's a mentality people get locked in and then they, you know, they, they, they overreact when they're banning. I uh, totally agree. And actually, to use that as a segue, uh, we want to talk about the Aurelia rework as well, because that has sent huge ripples through the community. And her ban rate is the highest I think it's ever been since, I want to say season three. Because I know season three around, they, uh, they buffed her and then they got out of control and they nerfed her into the ground again. So, yes, if we look at the stats, she does have the highest ban rate in the game at about 6%, just above Kaisa at 5.75%. Granted, if we look at her win rate, it's just below 50%, which isn't really statistically significant enough to warrant mentioning that it's so close to 50%, but it is interesting to note. And again, I think it's the same thing. I think people just don't want to deal with people playing her because they don't know what to do. Right. Now, seeing her being played, I actually had a really, I was able to play her on the PBE before she had gotten uh, released, and she... I played her there and I thought, okay, well, it's not going to be that bad seeing her in game, right? Because this is broken. They only nerfed her a little bit, is all I'm going to say. It was very surprising to me that they left her as duly as they did. Now, she's really bad against Fiora. I will say that. So if you ever need a, a counter pick, Fiora is great. Uh, that's for a couple different reasons. She stands still during her W. Fiora can just ult and then immediately proc all four. Aurelia's ultimate, if you walk through the walls, of course, it disarms you, which is a new mechanic. You can't auto-attack, which is really good for people like Fiora because her Q still procs on hit effects, such as her passive, such as Blade of the Ruined King, such as Static Shiv, you know, all that stuff. However, it's not counted as an auto-attack. It's, it's, uh, it's an ability, right? So she's pretty good against them. But other than that, there aren't a lot of people in the game that can consistently deal with Aurelia. And that's just because of Aurelia's nature. She's a really good duelist. She's a really good 
team fight initiator as well because most people when they get ulted by her they just immediately panic right they run away they run through the walls they don't want to fight the team when in reality that would actually be a better option because you have now used their main engage tool and Aurelia is just going to be able to you know queue around and so you have to protect the squishies like any normal team fight but that's one person that as long as you're passively doing your job she won't be able to operate that well it reminds me a lot of Vigar's E Event Horizon, where if you walk in, you get stunned. Granted, it's a stun, not a disarm. You can still move through Aurelius ult, but it's kind of thing where a lot of people, their immediate reaction is to run away, and you can't. You just got to stay in there and try to fight. Even if he does leave, you just stay in there, hope you don't get CC'd, so on and so forth. Aurelius ult is actually pretty significantly bigger than Vigar's E, so... I think it'd be easier to just stay in there and fight, and that's again, like you said, kind of what you have to do. You just have to do what you can, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a, you know, lesser of two evils thing. You can either run out, not be able to basic attack, you're slowed, you pretty much just get popped by Aurelia, or you can stay inside, fight, do some damage, hope your team is nearby to do some damage to her while she's fighting you, and then kind of hope for the best. But I do agree with you. I think. She needs a little bit of work. Like we said, she's getting banned pretty regularly. So I'm, I'm hoping that that is something that uh, will be dealt with more in the future. Definitely. And, you know, one quick thing I want to touch on. I know a lot of people hate her because the one word that ticks a lot of people off who play League of Legends, mobility. Now, yes, I was an XESO main, so I will take responsibility for, you know, I can see why people don't like the mobility. However, if Aurelia is using her Q constantly, look at the mana bar. She will only have half mana, you know, quarter mana, and she's pretty mana hungry later in the game. So just, you know, always keep track of that. Even though there is an ability she can use constantly and you'll you know, immediately think, oh, it's Yasuo again. It's not because Yasuo is, you know, she doesn't have a secondary um, resource and she does. She has to keep track of that. Plus her W is honestly... It's kind of a death trap for, you know, if you use it frequently, you're going to be giving a lot of free damage over to the enemies. And so as long as you as long as you kind of find the patterns each Aurelia player has, do they Q in first? Do they E first? Do they, you know, bait out any of your abilities with the W? As long as you can find the pattern, you can then immediately start to counteract their playstyle. Right. And like you said, I think mana is going to be a big issue for her as she starts to get played more. Now, her Q only does cost 20 mana at max level, but still, I mean, she only has 860 mana at max level if she doesn't build any mana, so she's going to have to deal with that, you know, resource management, I think, a little bit more than other champions will, and I think that if Riot does want to make her more competitive and have less of a severe advantage, I think that's something they can easily do is just up the cost of her mana, maybe have it increasing to later levels. Because flat mana of 20 from level 1 to 18 is going to be really easy to... I don't want to use the word abuse. I don't think it's that broken, but it's something that uh, she's going to get away with very easily. Definitely agree with that. That is going to do it for the Duo Cube podcast here. As always, I'm Van Van Roxperiman, and with me... Kyle Sentinel Ganya. Today we talked about a review of LCS. We talked about the fact that MSI is coming up soon. We were also able to cover the Aurelia rework. I covered the 8.8 .8 patch notes this week, and I gave my thoughts and opinions on them. So for next week, we're going to talk more of the same, as you guys have begun to expect. Now we're going to talk patch notes. I'm not sure what our discussion is going to be about yet, but we will figure it out. But stay tuned in. And of course, find us on Twitter at DuoQPodcast. We have a pinned 
tweet to our Discord that you can come hang out in. You'll catch me on League of Legends fairly often this quarter while student teaching, so please come give me something to do. Uh, I would love to play with you guys. Until next time, on behalf of Kyle, you guys have an excellent one, and we will see you next Wednesday. (laughs) 